welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt. Where I look at the week's news, that can be confusing, misleading, and take you off course. I add a little salt and sizzle to it, make it understandable, actionable, and clear so you can keep on your financial journey and make great choices along the way. We've got a great show for you today. A couple CNBC articles, a treasure trove of good CNBC articles. So, First one, this is uh, titled, Cash is King Again, as money managers are in no rush to embrace risk with Fed raising rates. Another CNBC article, headlined, Young Wealthy Investors Are Flocking to Alternative alternative Investment Study Shows, What to Know Before Adding to Your Portfolio. And it's got a picture of two pretty people in front of a private jet. And then I found some really interesting data this week that we're going to pour into a particular website called honestmath.com. I would recommend to you uh, where they outline percentage of active funds that have beaten their index, one of my favorite data points, and then market timing data along with some own data, some of my own data I dug up that I hope is instructive. So let's start it off at the top here. If you're looking at the news at all, you're seeing people recommend going to cash. So uh, there are some reasons for it. I want to outline those and we'll look at also if this is a choice for you. Cash, one of the most hated corners of the market for years, the article reads, is getting some newfound love from money managers. As the Federal Reserve raised rates, global money market funds saw $89 billion of inflows for the week ending October 7th, the largest weekly injection into cash since April of 2020. Now that's interesting. If anything, that's a we were to be indicator watchers. What an interesting indicator that it was April 2020. It might wasn't a bad time to buy. And these mutual fund managers are holding record amount of cash. So they overlay uh, in this article the S&P 500's performance, which has been poor. They then quote some very wealthy investors, Ray Dalio being one of them, Paul Tudor Jones as well. Uh, both Dalio and Jones saying. Well, Jones saying you would unequivocally want to favor cash. And cash equivalents were the only major asset class that gained in the third quarter with a 0.5% return. The S&P 500 suffered a 5% loss for the period, marking its worst third quarter since 2015. And here's a quote, an additional quote. It's a grievous set of circumstances that I've never seen over the course of my career, said James Rasta. CIO of activist and event-driven hedge fund Coast Capital. I don't like either of those reasons for investing. The Fed created a melt-up, and now it seems they've created a meltdown. A lot of drivers of inflation are structural and therefore not responsive to interest rates. So there is fear here. So when you read an article like this and you see really intelligent, wealthy hedge funds who are advocating, you go to cash, and then illuminating you on why it is that cash is helpful, what are you as an investor to do? I've talked about this previously, but it it bears repeating, particularly as the market goes down in a year, we are going as investors to be more prone to stop the pain. This is where we have to get into this emotional, psychological headspace of ourselves and others. We can There are a whole host of reasons we can convince ourselves to no longer be investing in the stock market when the market's going down. When the market's going up, there are a whole host of reasons we convince ourselves that it can never go down. So whenever an article like this comes out, elevating the importance or the helpfulness of cash to an investor, 
got to ask yourself some questions. One, where was this article before the crash? Now that would have been helpful. Is it helpful today? And let's go back to this interesting data point. The largest weekly injection into cash since April of 2020. Mm, what was going on then? Well, we were in the throes of the COVID-feared uh, pandemic and financial assets were on their back. So if we circle back to that time frame of April 2020, the market then went up 95% top to bottom. It's now only up 44% from that low, but from that from that time frame. So oftentimes it is a indicator that would tell you, gosh, there's a lot of fear. Now for us as investors, we don't look at those. We're not diving in and out of the market trying to time it, but it does tell you if you were to invest, I would much rather invest in a time period like this and not go to cash than to go to cash. So be wary of these articles advocating, I'll call them embracing fear-based decision-making. You don't need to do it. Now, it's a delightful thing if you have to hold cash anyway. What a great time to hold cash. Instead of getting zero, you're getting two, three percent. Great. That's just a happy accident. But I do not recommend rolling into cash, hoping that you can somehow weather the storm and then come back out at the right time. And I have, I have data on market timing here. At the end of the show that I'll show you um, that further explains why that would be a really bad strategy. Next article, CNBC this week. Headline, young wealthy investors are flocking to alternative investment study shows. What to know before adding to your portfolio. And we for you listeners, some of you may be very familiar with what alternative investments means. Others may not. So I'll just give you a brief overview. People have myriad definitions of what it means to them. But typically, when they talk about alternative investments, they're talking about non-stock and bond investments, private investments, unique investments, such as private equity, hedge fund strategies, co commodity strategies like a gold or a silver uh, this is what folks are typically referencing when they say alternative investments, as opposed to what they would refer to as traditional investments, which are simply stock and bond publicly traded portfolios. So uh, again, a beautiful couple walking outside of a, a private jet. I always wish on index fund investment um, advertisements, which there aren't very many, they would do something like this. Show two young people walking out of a private jet. Index funds, your path to financial success. I just think that would be awesome. Or I'm, I'm still waiting for the vanity license plate on a Ferrari that says, you know, INDXFND, just kind of index fund. Alas, not to happen. But the article says some 75% of high net worth investors between the age of 21 and 42, compared to only 32% of investors over 43 years, they don't expect above average returns solely from traditional stocks and bonds. According to a Bank of America private bank study released Tuesday, the firm pulled 1,052 high net worth investors with at least $3 million in investable assets from May to June of 2022. What's more, 80% of these young, those young investors are turning to so-called alternative investments, which fall outside traditional asset classes. So young investors are allocating three times more to alternative assets and half as much to stocks in other generations. Okay. And this article continues that financial advisors are doing the same. Sometimes the advisors are being pushed by the client. Sometimes the clients are pushing the advisors. I have words of warning. No surprise. We must realize that gravity affects every object. No object is immune to it. A ball, a plane, 
a shoe, all are subject to the laws of gravity. Of course, you can have a plane with jet fuel and engines and wings that'll help overcome that. But what I see happen regularly is investors believe, oftentimes they're sold this, or they sell themselves on this, somehow private equity is not going to have to succumb to the vicissitudes of the market, the ups and downs, the storms that come. Somehow it's somehow a safe harbor. I want to know, I, I want to explain why that typically is, why that mistake is made. When you, when you purchase an asset where the pricing is not marked to market daily and moment to moment, as the stock market and bond market is, you don't feel the volatility of those assets. Meaning, if I were in a private equity fund, and that fund updated me on my asset values every quarter, I really don't think about the values as much as I would if I were just to have a plain old vanilla index fund. But be assured, those values are just as volatile, and I would argue potentially more volatile if you were to actually get a bid on those assets in the moment you wanted them, because the assets are not easily purchased. These are private interests. There's, there's maybe a listener here, maybe not, who purchases these private interests and sees the value in that these interests are not liquid and not traded well. So you, you first have to deconstruct your thinking that private equity or any private asset that doesn't receive mark-to-market pricing is somehow less volatile. It is not. It just doesn't have liquidity. Now, that can be a good thing for you as an investor. I think oftentimes it's to the investor's credit and to their help that they own a piece of land uh, that doesn't get a bid every day because it might help that investor not sell or panic. I, 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 when doing it, client interviews, if I ascertain that this client is just totally uh, ill-prepared for the volatility of stocks, we will focus on other asset classes, real estate being one of them, but real estate that the client controls because they don't receive that mark-to-market pricing. It, it can be a benefit. Just know you are not hiding. You are simply delaying. When that private equity fund is sold or unwound, you will be exposed to whatever market forces are coming at you that day. <clears throat> and so my own, my own belief is you've got to really understand and know the asset class so well that you could actually run the private equity deal yourself. That usually eliminates most people from investing in these types of vehicles. Not everyone, though. Uh, and I wouldn't create a prohibition against it, but I, I would say you better really know what you're doing because there's just not as many eyes on the asset. So do not feel like you have to allocate. Be comfortable with the knowledge that your index funds are, are receiving the winds and the rain just as the alternative assets are. You're just getting mark-to-market pricing. And a great way to not believe in mark-to-market pricing or not let it hurt you I say don't believe, just don't let it hurt you. Just don't look at it. All of a sudden, you don't have mark-to-market pricing. What a delight. What an invention. It's hard to do. John Bogle would tell a story that this is this dates him. It shows that he, when he'd get his paper statements, uh, he wouldn't look at them. He would wait. He'd wait maybe a year or two years or three years or five years, and then he'd open it and he'd say, wow, that regular investing over a long period of time, it really worked. But he didn't check in. Oh, how's it doing this week? How's it doing this month? Investing becomes harder the more you check in. And now for some fun data that I found. Let's start with honestmath.com. I would, I would send you there. It is truly a website that is here to help you. I found it this week. All right. What percentage of actively managed U.S. equity funds outperformed their benchmark on a risk-adjusted basis over the past 20 years? 
All right, I want you to guess large cap. What do you think it is? Actively manage U.S. equity funds that outperform the benchmark. What do you think it was for large cap over the past 20 years? You got it in your head? Okay, the answer was 3.1%. 3.1% of the actively managed funds in large cap actually beat the index. And yet, the vast majority of the clients that I receive that are working with other banks and private equity shops, they are chasing that. I don't, doesn't make sense to me. Mid cap, same question. You got the answer, 7.6%. Small cap, you got the answer, 6.3%. Okay, only 6.3% of these active funds are beating the index. Only 7.6% of mid cap. Real estate, pretty good. 25% of the active funds beat the index. 25% over the last 20 years. That's pretty good. Honestmath.com. They've got other stuff as well. And I want to talk about market timing. I found this market timing data. This is this came from, uh, the source was LPL Research Facts Set, March 23 of 20. Market timing, the, the headline here on the, on the graph is market timing can cost investors significantly. They show the S&P 500. If you're fully invested from 1990 to 2019, you receive 7.7% annualized. If you miss the best day of the year, from 1990 to 2019, your annualized return was 3.9%. If you miss the two best days of the year, again, from 1990 to 2019, you basically made no money, 0.8%. 0.8% was your annualized return. Now it gets real rough. If you missed the three best days of the year, from 90 to 2019, your annualized return was negative 1.8%. If you missed the five best days of the year, negative 6.3%. And if you missed the 20 best days of the year, you lost 27%. That, 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 truly, it's hard for me to believe, but here's the data. So I'm going to trust it. You can fact check it yourself, LPL Research. Negative 27% if you missed the 20 best days of the year. So now, the shrewd amongst you, the shrewd listener amongst you might say, well, couldn't we just inverse that and say, what if you missed the worst days and you miss the five worst days. Yes, this data would flip. But what this should show you is, wow, you take a huge risk with market timing. And it's actually a pretty good game without it. 7.7% 7 7 returns, 1990 to 2019. Whole lot of bumps and bruises from, 90, from 1990 to 2019. And yet you still did pretty good. So that was very instructive to me. Hope it is for you. And then again, a reminder on, I know how it feels. Uh, you know how it feels to have portfolios down. A couple little data points. One, this is a personal finance club put this together. Uh, through October 7th, the S&P 500 is down 24%. So negative 24%. It is the fourth worst year so far since 1950. So that's so whenever you feel like, oh man, this is rough, what's going on? Well, you're not wrong. It's the fourth worst year so far since 1950. I want to talk, uh, let's, let's give you a little positive data and then a little, um, a little more rain on the parade. Okay, so let's, let's look at dividends. Oftentimes, this is an exercise I will do with, with myself or clients to focus on what you own, focus on why you own it. If you look at the index fund, ticker VTI, which is Vanguard's total U.S. stock market index fund, which is down about the same amount. It's probably down 25% or so, so for the year. What is the, what sort of dividends is it producing? Okay. Yeah, it's down about 20%. Year to date, it's down about 26%. VTI is 
quarter over quarter from September to September. You just got your dividend checks at the end of September. What is the growth rate, negative or positive, of dividends from the third quarter of 2021 to the third quarter of 2022? And now I just I just referenced in that time period, the, the index is down about 25% or so. What do, you th- what do you think the index fund is doing with dividends? Are those dividends down the same amount? No, they're not. They're up about 10%. Isn't that interesting? In the United States, the dividends are up about 10% year over year in the third quarter for VTI from that September of 2021 to September of 2022. Now, that may be cold comfort to many investors because you're not eating your dividend or it's in your 401k. Or, but I, I hope it's a reminder that, okay, perhaps the operating performance of these companies hasn't dipped yet despite the decrease in their returns. And then here's the rain. International stocks just hosed. It has been a, it has been an unfun 17 years to be an international stock investor. Let us all just look in the mirror and say that. You still need exposure there. I think, I don't know when it ends, but it does end. The international dividends quarter over quarter, third quarter, were down 30%. So that is rough. Now, the international dividends are much more volatile than U.S. International companies, they base their dividend policies. They're typically not fixed like U.S. companies. U.S. companies will have a fixed dividend and then just do their best to keep it. International will um, change them if if the CEO gets a little skittish about the future or if revenues drop. They will actually, they have a, a variable dividend policy. So that's why you see bigger movements in international to the down and upside and also currency. So the United States dollar is stronger. So that does make international dividends to you, the the U.S. investor, worth less. So that is your dividend update. So as always, keep your costs low, keep your investing simple, keep your time horizon long, even when it's difficult. Keep those in mind. Control what you can. You'll be better off for it. Thanks for listening. Look forward to having you tune in next time.